On this episode of Draft Capital, I am without regular co-host Chris LeBron. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be getting together very soon to be discussing his big board. But today, I am joined by Nathan Grubel, who is a member of the No Ceilings Collective and is the host of the Draft Deeper podcast. Today, we are kicking off what we're going to be doing every month is going to be comparing our big boards against one another. And this broadcast is going to be aired for Draft Capital and Draft Deeper at the same time. We're going to be kind of cross-populating our audiences here with top-notch draft content. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Draft Capital here on the Nothing But That channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, flying solo without Chris LeBron today. Don't worry, folks. He and I have another show lined up that we're going to be doing tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'm you guys are still going to be in good hands because I'm not doing this by myself. Today begins a very special segment that good friend of the the show here, the network. Um, he just he's been doing a lot of great work lately. Just saw that he worked with Chad Ford and Seth Partnall this week. I mean, this guy's been everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Grubel of Draft Deeper is joining us today. Nathan, how we doing, brother? Chris is just ducking me. He he he, is, he doesn't <laughs> want this smoke. So, but. Nah, shout out, shout out to Chris. I I love both you guys, but I'm I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm a little tired, but we're we're grinding away, man. It's just draft season. It's December. I, I I can't believe where the draft community is at right now. Draft Twitter is a buzz. I I can't even keep up with everything that's going on in the community. So it, that that that's great to see that we're in December. We're not even in like April, May, June yet up to the draft, and there's already so much momentum going. So I I know you're excited as well. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And before we even get into kind of the meat and the potatoes of the show, this is the first time that I've got to do any sort of, you know, on the air work with you, so to speak, since you've had a lot of big changes, man. I just mentioned you had two tremendous guests on this week. Not only that, but you're a part of this whole new uh, No Ceilings Collective that has just taken, you know, the draft world by storm. So kind of what's what's been your experience with that so far? It, it looks amazing from an outsider outsider looking in. That's the goal. That's the goal. We really want to be the number one place where, where everybody heads for, for draft content. That was the vision that Tyler Rucker and Corey Tulliba had when they kind of brainstormed the whole idea of why don't we actually get some people together who are interested in working on a project and kind of building up something as a collective. That's really the best way to get noticed and build momentum and steam. I know you and Chris feel the same way off the ball network has gained a lot of notoriety by doing the same thing, by teaming up and getting as many different people involved as possible. We want to do the same thing in the draft space. So we, we reached out to multiple different people. They reached out to me. We got Tyler Metcalf on board. We have his buddy, Nick on board. We have Evan on, we have so many different guys involved and I couldn't be happier with the work that we've been doing over at the Substack. How many publications can actually say they're putting out, one to two to even three, four, the one day, hell, we did like six different pieces like in one day. And I, I couldn't even keep up with posting stuff and sharing it on social media, trying to promote my guys. I, I couldn't believe it. But how many publications can say they're putting out that much draft relevant content Monday through Friday, every single day, just grinding it out. So that's, that's I think, what we're, we're most proud of. We're, we're trying to be as consistent in the draft space as possible. Uh, Corey with all out of the artwork and the graphics and stuff, Tyler Rucker, the, the meme Lord, the meme King doing a lot of good <laughs> social media promotion over there. So we just have a great team of people who bring so many different things to the table 
to contribute and make one awesome narrative driven Substack. And obviously all the podcasts, everybody's doing podcasts and we have our own network. So there's a lot of content we're pumping out. And I can't wait to see what we do over the next four or five months. Yeah, man, you guys have been going strong. We've been lucky enough to have, you know, Rucker's been on a couple times to have Albert come on. You know, you're joining us. We already got it in the works that Corey is going to be joining the show here in about a week or so. You know, trying to get all you guys on before you guys are too famous to talk to us anymore. But, you know, super proud oh, of you stop guys. It. Stop the- it. You guys do great work. There's the, why, why else would I want to launch a series with you? I mean, you're, you're awesome at what you're doing, Steven. You're killing it. You're putting out big boards. You're being consistent with draft content, the tweets that you're making with all the different prospect clips and everything. You're, you're grinding as well, my man. So it's only fitting that we collaborate on something, and I'm excited to have someone to collaborate on a project like this with. And I think it's going to be beneficial for everyone down the road. I couldn't have said it any better myself, and the words are kind and much appreciated. That being said, let's not mince anything else, man. We'll get right into it. Today, we're going to be comparing our big boards 1.0, Nathan. And I'm super excited because, you know, we released our boards independently from each other. I read that you're going to be doing it consistently. It was something that I was going to do on a monthly basis. And, you know, kind of the superpowers here combining and just saying, hey, why don't we just get together? We'll talk about what we're seeing how we're evaluating these guys. You know, obviously we're going to see things differently because we're, you know, we, we watch the game differently and that's what makes it fun. Right. I think that that's why you and I both love the draft is because you can watch one player. I can watch that same guy and we both walk away with different takes. We talk about it and we see how we can learn from one another. And and that's what I'm looking forward to the most with this segment. You know, Nathan, you, you touched on that. We're going to be doing this on a monthly basis. We're going to be hosting it here. You're going to be hosting it on Draft Deeper, but that audio is going to be shared between all of our audiences to kind of help, you know, extend out to each other's, you know, collectives and, and learn from each other even more. And, and I'm looking forward to that a lot. But before we get going, Nathan, I just want to remind our listeners here that support for Draft Capital is brought to you by Built Bar. Unlike all the other bars that are out there that taste either like old Play-Doh or a piece of cardboard when you eat a Built Bar, you will think that you are cheating on your diet with a delicious chocolate dessert. If your kids find out how good these things are, you're going to have to buy more because they're going to be begging for them. If you want to buy some Built Bar, we can help you out here. We'll get you a 10% discount with promo code off the ball at checkout at built.com. All right, so Nathan, we're going to get into the draft conversation now, and we got a few different segments. I wanted to ask you about your top three here because, you know, everybody kind of has the same top three, at least by and large, you know, you get your outliers here and there, but you're getting, you know, Chet Paulo and, and Jabari Smith has kind of, you know, bursted out on the, to the scene this season. And there's a lot of different variations, obviously that people are putting out for your top three with those aforementioned players. Like how are you watching them and what kind of stood out to you? And when you were building your big, building your big board on how you put together your top three. So those three guys are really interesting. And you mentioned, Jabari Smith has obviously taken the world by storm, making his case to potentially be number one out of those three. I think he, that that's becoming a lot more popular of a take on not, not just people like you and I, but also on major media outlet boards. He has really shot up. But you also have Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bencaro, who we kind of knew coming in, they'd be involved in the race for the number one pick. And I think both of them have had pretty good moments so far in, in their freshman campaigns. Palos showed some of that versatility as a shot creator, 
He's been able to convert highly on shots from the mid-range, from the elbows. He's been making some step-in three-pointers in transition, which the three-point shot was something that we had questions about. And then obviously him with a 6'10", 250-pound powerful build, you know he's going to be able to finish inside and convert on easy looks around the basket. So he's kind of flashed that three-level scoring package that we wanted to see from him coming in. Really the question to me heading into the second half of the year is, does he maintain his aggressiveness getting downhill and looking to continuously finish around the basket? Or does he fall into some old habits when things start to get tough against better competition? Does he fall into those habits of, I'm just going to take this one, two, triple pull up, even though this might be the most efficient, this might not be the most efficient shot for me. It's the easier shot that I can take right now versus trying to bully my way down low and, and maybe get an easier look or try to get to the free throw line. So that's going to be the biggest thing for me to monitor still. But I have him number one because of the scoring versatility that he's shown. It's just so hard to find guys who are uh, – it's it's rough to label him as like a comp to Carmelo Anthony. I hate using like very high ceiling comps like that. But at the same time, you can justify it given their similar size, their, their similar scoring attacks, their similar efforts around the basket in the mid-range. You can make the comp. But then you look at Chet Holmgren. And he does so many positive things on the defensive end, Stephen. I know that you've talked about it. His instincts on that end are second to none. His rip protection, the value that he adds defending around the basket and also stepping out and containing guys on the perimeter. I don't think he's as slow-footed as people make him out to be. And at the same time, he also utilizes his length really well. He knows how to play angles. He's a smart defender. So I think some of the foot speed concerns with him and Paolo to an extent, I think some of them mm-hmm. are a little overblown but just everything he brings to the defensive end of the floor. And then offensively, his core vision, his passing awareness, his unselfishness, his incredible finish around the basket. I think the last time I looked at his numbers, he was around like 78% finishing inside on two-point shots or something crazy. Ridiculous, like yeah. Hyper-efficient. And you factor in one of, the, one of the things that people were excited about his game, the three-point shot, that hasn't even really come along yet. Last time I looked at a lot of the synergy numbers for him, he was not making jump shots at a high level, but you watch him in warmups. That was one of the things that Rucker wanted to note when him and Albert got to see him out on the West Coast against UCLA. They noted the fluidity in his jump shot when he was warming up. Like Alper and Shengun was a was a big guy in the draft last year. He didn't hit three-point shots at a high rate during games but he was another guy you saw him shooting around in warm-ups or messing around and you saw what the shooting stroke looks like and you know that at some point he's going to start converting and hitting on those jumpers and I feel the same way about Chet the fluidity the smoothness and the shooting mechanics eventually that shot's going to come around so he's he's truly a unicorn and it was tough not having a number one because I love the effort level the motor the intensity that he plays with as well even when he gets knocked around and I, I went with I went with Paolo and J- Jabari. I think it's a little too early still for me to to crown him number one overall, but he's he, he's right in the race. So it's a, an interesting trio of guys. I'm sorry I rambled on, on the podcast that that you're hosting. I'm not hosting this one. I rambled. Hey, this is this is a, a combined effort here. You know, please feel free to grab the reins at any time. Our our listeners will be better for it. But you know, going through this top three. You know, I, I have the benefit right now of looking at our board side by side. You know, if, um, you know, folks want to look, I mean, on, on those ceilings, I know that you guys have composite boards and, and mock drafts. I believe your your board is also posted there. And, and on my sub stack, I have mine. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to just go through the whole top 30. We're just going to kind of segment off, you know, kind of 
you know, similar aspects of our boards and some differentiating areas of our board as well. But our top three, we have the same, we have the same guys listed. It's just in a different order. You know, you if everybody have- wants my boring rendition of my big board, just me going through one through 30, it's on the podcast feed, but this is more exciting. It, this this is a lot of fun. It's good when you can get a little bit of discourse on it. But, you know, you went with Paolo, you went with Chet, and then Jabari. I respect the aspect that you want to wait a little bit for guys to prove themselves because, I mean, we got like a 10-game a sample size. And, and for the listeners here, this is our 1.0 that was released, you know, a couple weeks ago. Here in, in about two weeks or so, we're going to be going over our 2.0s. You know, we'll be doing this on a, on a monthly basis. So the way that we're looking at guys today at the time of this recording it may already be different. Oh, uh, yeah. It I, I can promise you it's going to be changed. <laughs> I think that's a segment we have towards the end of the show. But, oh, yeah, things are going to change. You're correct. So, right now, um, on my 1.0, I went with Paul. A lot of the same reasons that you did, Nathan. I mean, what what else can you pick on this guy on? He just cramps, like, in big games. I, that's just such kind of a, a, a funky little area for him that he's getting beat up on, is that in big games, he just, for whatever reason, he's not as hydrated. But I don't think that that's anything that's – overly concerning you know he's got the handle he's got the size people are asking you know hey can you play make a little bit more well sometimes especially on a high power team like duke certain players are going to have roles and it's not really a selfish thing it's like this is what's expected of you to me if if paulo is not scoring for duke that's kind of more selfish for him you know for most nights you know there's going to be nights where his shot doesn't fall and he needs to find guys a little bit more but by and large he's going to be the finisher on this team and that's okay Jabari over Chet. Um, I love the vibes that I'm getting from Jabari. Uh, not so much of the play style, but when you watch this guy play with the intensity, the intangible aspect of his game, he gives me like Kevin Garnett and Giannis Antetokounmpo vibes. I mean, you just you feel like he wants it on every single stink and play. It feels like he doesn't take it off. And those type of dudes, you know, that they garner my affection a lot. And that's not to say that Chet Holmgren, who I have number three, doesn't do that. It's just that I like the way that, that Jabari is going about it more. It's um, more of a scoring base because he has to. Chet, on his team, he has the benefit of playing alongside you know guys like Drew Timmy and Julian Strother. Um, Jabari doesn't really have that level or caliber of teammate, so he has to do kind of like Paolo, a little bit more of the finishing aspect. But I love Chet. I refer to him as kind of a Venus flytrap where the opposing bigs will look at him and be like, okay, I can take this dude to town in the paint. And more times than not, their shots sent in reverse because Chet is a really good defender. And also love the the, the passing aspect of Chet's game, too. Can, can, can you just hit on that for a second, though, really quick? Because I've never seen somebody get back down in the paint consistently yet still be able to block the shot. That yeah. That is special. It, it truly is. And I watched, I believe it was the game against UCLA. Forgive me, I know it's UCLA's backup center. A little bit shorter, but a bigger guy. And there's one play that stood out where he grabbed an offensive rebound on corner three, and he proceeded to back Chet up from the corner three all the way up to the basket, and Chet still blocked a shot. You you got to think getting bumped off of off of not necessarily off your feet, but you're getting bumped like three four times on your way to the basket, and you still have the timing and the reflexes and the length. And, and the wherewithal to be able to block that shot. That's why I'm saying, like, he reminds me of a Venus flytrap because it's just a, a little bug landing in a Venus flytrap and that mouth is slowly shutting and then boom, it's gone. That's what Chet's post-defense reminds me of. You know, he's constantly getting looked at as weak or inferior on his interior defense. And 
again, more times than not, he's either blocking the shot, altering it, or swallowing it up before it even leaves a an offensive player's hand. It's it's truly amazing. I can't remember ever seeing a player routinely get back down like that and continuing to send the shot back because usually a, a strong interior defender, no one wants to go against them at all. But for whatever reason, players kind of trick themselves into thinking they can do it against Chet, and it, it just doesn't work. And he's work. staying on the court, too. He's not racking up a ton of fouls either. That That's mm-hmm. also huge. These Some of these big men that, that we could talk about on this podcast – that's a big thing. Are are you are you staying out of foul trouble? Are you staying on the court to make an impact for your team on both ends of the floor? And Chet's Chet's doing that, I think, better than almost any of the other big men that we could talk about for a top thirty ranking. So that's that's another reason why he's so elite and why I would certainly not remove him from the number one race in any capacity, despite what his body looks like. I I, I hope that we hope that you're not gonna body shame on, on this podcast, Stephen. I, I I certainly hope not. Not at all. I won't body shame him. I mean, let's just go ahead and throw out the obvious. He's skinny, but he's tough, you know, like there are times where he falls down, but he gets up and he's he's competitive. He does not back down from a challenge. And that's helped Gonzaga out. Not only not only is he doing the job as an interior defender individually, but he's doing it well for his team. And I think that when you can block shots and it turns out to not only just be a net negative for the offense, but when it turns into a transition opportunity for your team. That's all the better. And Chet with this passing along with that, when he can immediately go from, you know, blocking a shot and getting the rebound or, you know, deflecting a pass and getting a loose ball and he can dribble and turn into an initiator on that, on the exact opposite end of the floor immediately. That's crazy value. And to me, I I understand how some people could look at me having him three and saying like, oh, I might be sliding him or whatever. Not at all. I think all three of these players are extremely talented. They each have crazy unique skill sets, and I think all three are going to help whatever team that they go to at the next level, Nathan. No, I've been I've been following everything that you're saying and everything you're doing, Stephen. I know that you have those two guys ahead of Chet because you you're you're more so buying into what you think that they can become, not necessarily sliding Chet for anything that he may or may not bring to the table. So you're, you're evaluating all three prospects very fairly. So I got, I got no qualms with where you're at right now. It's still very early. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, as we keep seeing more and more games, our, our, our big boards are going to keep fluctuating in accordance with what we see, Nathan. So, all right, let's move on from that top three. I think everybody kind of expects, you know, those guys to be mentioned about where they are. Here's where it gets fun to me, Nathan. And I've been listening to a lot of yours and, you know, the rest of the No Seasons Collective dialogue on these players in particular. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna throw out some names, right? Jaden Hardy, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Caleb Houston, Nathan. I think that everyone would say these are guys that we were hearing buzz about top three, top five, you know, at worst, maybe top seven. And if you just look at the production aspect in terms of just raw numbers, I don't think that these guys are performing up to their preseason expectations. But Nathan, we all have them in our top 10 still, you know, but and I say we all you and I, we have them in our top 10, although some of the more contemporary boards or more um, mainstream have seen some of these guys fall out of contention in light for some more, um, you know, ready made (laughs) more fun to watch players as of right now. For these guys that we had higher expectations for that are kind of somewhat underperforming, what made you want to keep Hardy Baldwin Jr. in Houston within your top 10? 
I think it's just the whole premise of not overreacting to what we're seeing on the court. Now, it, it, each situation, ironically, is a little different. Caleb Houston's probably the, the most simple one to describe. He, he is a freshman. He's still very young, just like the other three. He's playing at a high major conference, and he's playing, trying to figure out how to be effective both with and without the ball in his hands. And I think that's something – if you would go back and watch him in Montford, it was kind of a mixed bag in terms of his role with the team. I think he was given more responsibility for the Canadian U19 team. And now he's coming to Michigan and it's like that responsibility more or less was really stripped from him. And they've asked him to play make out of pick and roll in, in certain situations. But I think his role has really been inconsistent and in flux. And anytime that that happens for a player, that can definitely lead to some up and down results as far as the box score and the percentages are concerned. But when you actually evaluate what he can do on the floor, we know what the shooting stroke looks like. We don't have to get into the detail about that. He's a lights-out shooter. He can actually play, make, and pass out of pick-and-roll reads and situations. He makes good decisions with the ball in his hands when he has to move it. Defensively, sure, there are some limitations because he's not the quickest player laterally, but he does he does try and remain engaged as often as possible. And People can pick apart his off-ball defense. First of all, you can pick apart any young player's off-ball defense. Generally, that's the weakest part of any young player's game when they're coming into the NBA. But he's had moments where he's gotten some deflections, forced some turnovers to get his team out in transition as well. And I still think he's one of the better transition players in this class because he knows when to leak out. He knows where to be at all times. He's one of the first guys to the corner if he needs to fill a lane because that's just how the play's forming. He'll fill that lane. He knows how to do that. I'm just really, really high on his overall basketball IQ, and I'm not going to drop a player who I know is someone who can actually play the game the right way just because some of their shooting splits are a little down compared to where we would want them to be. As for Hardy and Baldwin, their stories are a tad more complicated with Hardy. He chose to join the G League Ignite team, and he's playing against the best competition out of any of these guys that we're going to be talking about outside of maybe one or two international guys that we'll probably throw into the mix at some point who play in higher level leagues overseas. But in terms of domestic evaluation, the, any team that he's facing in the G league is a lot better than some of the domestic college competition that he could be facing. So he's facing grown men mm -hmm. and that's going to bring its own level of adjustments. He's playing on an NBA court. He's not playing on a college court with a shorter three point line the adjustment that a lot of these players have had to make this year is everybody's using a different game ball. That's something that comes into effect as well. So there's multiple reasons why it's taken him a little longer to adjust, but now he's starting to find more of a rhythm with the ball in his hands. He's starting to make some plays for others out of pick and roll. He's starting to figure that out a little more. He's starting to shoot the ball more effectively from the field overall. I think in his last few games, Simon Rath actually sent me this. He's at about 33% from the three-point line. Yep. So that's coming up from where it was, about 27 28%. He's starting to get more comfortable on more volume, and he's still putting up like 17, 18 points per game in the G League. So it's not like he's doing nothing. He's still being effective from the free-throw line. So I'm not going to completely give up on a guy who can be a three-level scoring guard, a primary option, because that's the type of guard that the NBA is always looking for, no matter what. And I don't feel that he's that undersized either i know adam spinell over the box and one still as gene hardy as a as a top five grade and, and coach knows the stuff coach knows more about ball than than i do absolutely so i'm not gonna not gonna dispute him on that one either i would agree that we need to value him and then patrick baldwin 
I don't know how much you and I want to argue about Patrick Baldwin. I don't know if we would necessarily argue about him, but that, I, I've made a point to talk about him now on multiple podcasts that his situation is unlike any other that we could possibly talk about mm-hmm. in this class. He's playing with a dumpster fire Milwaukee team. That team is bad. Yeah. And it's not just that they're a bad team. I think he has a lot of pressure and expectations on his shoulders to live up to, that he needs to show this, this, and this to NBA scouts on this court because he's playing in this game and this environment for them to be like, okay, you actually deserve a top five or a top seven grade on the board. He's trying to do all that and mix in with teammates who are also trying to prove themselves and win games. And they see the the coach's favorite son come in and try and take responsibility over the offense. And you can just tell when watching the games that they don't always want to pass him the ball. They kind of ice him out a little bit. Like I, I can specifically pinpoint two possessions in the Rhode Island game that just happened previously Monday night where his teammates would penetrate, get two feet in the paint and defense would collapse. And they're kind of looking around like, where are they going to go next with the ball? And Pat Baldwin is literally standing wide open on the wing and they choose, they wait so long to actually pass in the ball. And it's not like he didn't see Pat Baldwin. No, the guys saw Pat Baldwin. They just didn't necessarily want to get him the ball because they know he's probably going to shoot it as soon as he touches. And that's part of the pressure that's feeding into his situation. But If you take a look at the film, he's actually making plays out of pick and roll at an efficient Mm -hmm. rate. The synergy stats would back that up. When he is put in those situations, he's one of the best jump shooters that we have off the dribble in terms of this freshman class. We know he was going to be a tough shot maker at six foot nine. That's some of the intrigue that comes along with his professional game. So he has shown signs and not all of his numbers are that poor to where he should start plummeting down boards. He's in a rough situation he made the decision that he did. Ultimately, he's going to have to live with that decision. But will it be the worst thing for him overall if he does slide to that like 14 to 20 range and maybe he goes to a little bit better of a situation, a better team? Maybe it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Everything usually works itself out for a reason. But I'm not going to skyrocket him down my board just because he's put up some poor shooting numbers against good teams. I, I think that, that he's going to be unfairly judged. He's going to be dropped. That's just the way that it is. Chad Ford, as you mentioned, I did the podcast with him. He obviously has a lot more intel behind the scenes than I do. He knows that scouts and executives have complained to him about Patrick Baldwin's lack of intensity, lack of effort, lack of production in those big games. We know what's going to happen. doesn't necessarily matter how well he does in some of these other games in the Horizon League. He's going to fall, but you and I, Steven, we don't have to, we don't have to move him down our boards. We can keep him right where he's at. Yeah, you're 100% right and that's something that when I wrote for my, you know, my top 80 that I released a couple weeks ago is that I can change my mind, you know, as as the season goes on, you know, and, and I'm going to just to put that out there, but I'm not changing my mind on Patrick Baldwin Jr. I'll kind of talk about these players in the inverse that you lay them out. Patrick Baldwin Jr., for one, the frame, you know, and and I know that sometimes people get tired of when you hear, well, you can't teach size and you can't teach this. Well, the reason it keeps getting talked about is because you can't, you know, he's he's listed at 6'9", 6'10", looks a little bit bigger than that comparatively to the other guys on the court. Size does matter and it does affect you. And Nathan, not only the team, but I think maybe even just a college scheme, it's not always suited for guys like him. I can look at a guy like Jaden McDaniel, who I had a top five grade on whenever he came out of the draft. You know, Jalen Johnson was largely touted player, went to college and and it didn't work out. And his effort and motor was questioned, you know, to a large degree. And 
it looks like he's being valued a little bit better, at least in the G League right now. Atlanta is super deep, so I don't really see that as like a talent thing for Jalen. But I look at Patrick Baldwin Jr., and it's a lot of the same thing. You know, he's he's put in a really tough position. And Nathan, real quick before I continue on my breakdown, what do you what do you see as like the best outcome from a Patrick Baldwin Jr.? Do you ever see him as really like a, a the number one guy on a team? No, but I think that the potential has always been there for him to be a kick-ass number two, right? That's, that's okay. I think, what everybody is expecting from him. And honestly, I, I still see it. I still see it. I don't think that we should immediately shut that door because of, what, how many games he played now and what month are we in? We're in December. We're in mid-December. Right. We're just going to shut that door on him when he's still so young. No, I'm not. So is is he going to be a, a number one in the realm of maybe a Paolo Bencaro or, or a Jabari Smith even could be a number one? Maybe not, but at the same time, if you're telling me you're going to get a surefire number two, somebody at his size who can stretch the floor and has all the decision-making qualities to make everyone else around him better in certain situations as well, on top of being able to shoot the ball, to go along with the size, no. I'm not going to shut the door on him being a number two. Exactly, and I think that that's what people should be thinking about, you know, intentionally when they're evaluating him is because sometimes – I think people just look at how big he is and they're saying, well, he's never going to be a number one and he's put in a number one position on this team. And I think that that can kind of skew people's evaluation, which is why I think that he's plummeting down some of these draft boards. I'll talk about um, Jaden Hardy now. And you talk about just an ultimate ramp up in the level of competition. I mean, going from high school to playing against, you know, current, former, aspiring NBA players, that's a huge ramp up. And I was listening to Tyler Rucker and I, I, Forgive me, I forget the guess that he had on, but I know he had Hi, Kyle Nishimoto. Yes, G-League? Kyle yeah. Nishimoto. Yep, thank you. A lot of G League experience, and he was giving some insight that I never considered is that Hardy's being put in a position because we know his strengths. The G League is going to try to develop the other areas that teams are going to be looking for, you know, some of those other skills that should marry along nicely with the shooting, with the athleticism, and he's going to be put in positions that are going to try him a little bit harder. And to me, that's perfectly fine. He's got teammates around him that are looking to be drafted as well. And we saw early on last season with, you know, Mr. Green from Houston coming along the G League, slower start, but still had flashes. I I look at Jaden Hardy and I see a lot of similarities in that aspect where the efficiency numbers weren't there at the beginning. But what do we see coming along more and more? We're seeing more 20 point performances on better efficiency. It looks a lot like how Jalen Green did look last season, and I was really bullish on him. And then finally, Caleb Houston. I think for a shooter, it's really hard, obviously, when the shot's not falling for him to look good, by and large, for the most part. But what I love about Caleb Houston is that the defense on a man-to-man basis, I agree, is there. The, The help defense does need a little bit of help. But the playmaking, I love what I'm seeing from the rebounding and the passing aspect. I see dynamic passing from Houston, and with his frame, you know, he ranges anywhere from about 6'7 to 6'8 on a lot of people's boards. I love the playmaking aspect that is that can look really nice coupled along with that shooting that is also starting to come along there with Houston as well, Nathan. So I think that we did a good job of talking about areas where we're kind of similar on. Now this is going to be the fun part of the show, uh, the segment I'm labeling here, What's the Difference? So we have players that we're varying the most on right now on our boards that, and when I say that we're varying on these players, we both have these gentlemen on our board 
but we have them in kind of staggering differences as to where they rank on our board. We have A.J. Griffin, Trevor Kills, Keegan Murray, Max Christie, and Harrison Ingram. So I'm going to give you a name. I would very much like for you to say why you're maybe higher or lower on that guy than me, and then I'll jump in and kind of give my little breakdown and analysis on that player. So let's start with A.J. Griffin. I believe I'm a little bit higher on him than you. Um, I know that this is a guy that's dealing with injuries and playing time has not really been uh, consistent as of two weeks ago. Again, remember, we're doing this on our 1.0. What was your breakdown on A.J. Griffin for your 1.0, and why did you have him a little bit lower than myself? He just wasn't getting the opportunities. And usually when a player who we know is that naturally talented isn't getting the opportunities, you hear some of the rumblings that he's not practicing well, he's not understanding the game really well in in a practice setting. And coaching staffs could could have been concerned that that wouldn't exactly translate well in a game setting either. So when you have somebody who could be that far behind understanding the game at the college level, on top of everything he's had to come back from physically, it was probably going to be a slow start for him. So naturally, if that's the case, you kind of have to adjust your board accordingly. If he does Mm -hmm. end up playing well, like he has, thankfully, these last two games, and you start moving him back up, and he probably is going to be a little bit higher on my 2.0 board. But for now, you kind of have to take everything that you're seeing, and you have to take it within context and within the specific context of the start of his year and his situation. He wasn't playing like a top 10 guy or didn't have the opportunities to play like a top 10 guy. But to, to his credit, I'm glad that I've seen him play well over these last two games, he is starting to really figure some things out. And we we knew coming in, we knew coming in, he was one of the first five guys I talked about on a preseason podcast. I gave him that sort of a grade accordingly. He could still end up being one of the top seven or eight players in the class. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. And my reasoning for why, and I have him lower than a lot of other people too, right? So it's not that I still look at him as of two weeks ago as a top five player, but a lot of the same things that you pointed out, Nathan, you know that, the lack of playing time, the the dealing with injury. And I don't think a lot of people even realize that he suffered an injury coming into the year. And there was concern that it was going to be about a month or two before we even saw him on the court. Yep. Hopefully he started getting out there and Duke has a lot of talent. They don't need to really rush him back. And so seeing coach K and his farewell tour, you know, kind of playing it smartly with him, not really going to jeopardize the amount of, you know, bumps and bruises that he can get in situations maybe before he's ready kind of slowly progressing him along I think that's helping him out you know I had him 12th I believe you had him around 21 I think we're both going to have him up a little bit higher um, based on what we're seeing because you know the aforementioned performances that you touched on Nathan Um, let's get into Trevor Kills now I know that this is a really popular guy you know uh, another teammate here of uh, AJ Griffin kind of a 6'5 bodybuilder looking type. Looks like he should be playing football instead of basketball. That's kind of the uh, the breakdown that you get from Trevor Kills. I'm seeing a lot of range on him, even as of today, not even two weeks ago from our 1.0, but even today, there's a lot of variance on him. Nathan, I had him my dead last pick in my, my 1.0. I know that you're a lot higher on him on 1.0 than me. So please tell me, what do you like about Trevor Kills? I do like some of the playmaking that he's shown. He's been a very willing passer at the basketball. He's gotten himself in good situations to actually make those passes, which is a lot more than I expected from him coming into the season. I didn't have a great read coming on uh, heading into that very first game that he played in Madison Square Garden where he absolutely lit it up. 
Mm-hmm. And he proved that he could maybe be like a number two or a number three option next to guys like Paolo Vincaro and Wendell Moore. He really fit right in and he was making a lot of the shots that were given to him. And he was creating those opportunities. I think that was the one thing that really sold me on some of his ability as to why he should move up boards and, and plan himself within that late lottery to mid first round conversation. Now he's been a little inconsistent since then. He hasn't shown me a ton since that first game, but he has quietly put together two or three games here where he's had like 11, 12, 14 points, three, four, five assists. And you kind of just want to see consistent production from him. You want to see him hitting shots at a decent clip. And I think if he can just keep stringing together consistency, especially when we move into the ACC portion of the schedule for Duke, then I think he's going to stay around that, that, that 15 to 20, 22 range on a lot of people's boards. He'll probably move up your board a little bit, but I do understand the hesitancy from you because if he's not creating those opportunities more frequently and with more efficiency, and he's kind of just the guy who is going to be asked to stand in the corner and be as physical as possible. That's an NBA player. That's a rotation player, but maybe not like a lottery type pick. Maybe that is like a back end of the first round type player. So I, I, I understand the hesitancy and this might be one of those where I look back and say, I overreacted. That's fair. I mean, he's a player, I'll tell you right now, a little foreshadowing, if I will, here. Um, He's going up because of the defensive potential that he has, you know, the ability to guard maybe one through three, the ball. He better play defense with that body. He better play defense. (laughs) I mean, you you, you get the Lou Dort comparisons with him all the time. And that's, that's because Lou Dort does the exact same thing. And they're both just freakishly huge human beings, right? So, Maybe I look back and I and I think I have him a little bit low. And I even wrote that in my breakdown. I was like, my opening sentence for him was, this feels wrong, but this is just kind of where he shook out in my 1.0. And again, our, our opinions and thoughts can change as more information is presented ahead of us, right, Nathan? So right now I was, you know, I was a little bit more hesitant because he had set the world on fire in his opening game. He's still been consistent. He's just not asked to do as much as some of these other guys that I had ahead of him. So maybe just needed a little, needed to see a little bit more out of him moving forward. So Nathan Keegan Murray, I mean, I love this kid. I thought I loved him, but you love him even more than me. Everybody loves him more than me. And I thought I was going to come into my big board with a, a higher grade than most. But I'm looking here. Let me call it up. You had Keegan Murray. 11th on on your Wanda I had him 28th so that's a huge variance here but I love his game I love the offensive and defensive versatility it's just kind of hard for me because the the same excuse that you hear from everybody the level of competition when he has played higher competitive teams he had a tendency to kind of fade away a little bit but he's still learning that number one position on a team that had a you know contender for player of the year for all of college basketball right so Keegan Murray a huge ask to step up from a a help player to the star player he's rung the bell I mean probably one of the most (laughs) crazy statistical darlings in all of college basketball right now Nathan you have him knocking on the door of top 10 and I love it you're you're more bold than me. That's how I look at it. It's like you just have the bigger onions than I do, just to put. Well, it on let's fire. let's let's hold let's hold up on saying <laughs> that because he might be a guy that definitely moves down a little bit for me. Okay, um, okay. And, and the only reason I say that is he does everything inside the arc from a scoring perspective that you would want him to do. He's a very good rebounder for somebody his size. These six eight, two hundred fifteen pound combo wing type of forwards. 
those are the, those are the types of players that NBA teams want. But that also comes with the theoretical stretch label, right? Ah, yes. He's not a consistent three point shooter, and he still hasn't been. So when you factor in exactly what you said, playing cupcake level competition where he could easily dominate inside, get almost all of his points exclusively at the basket because he was bigger, physical, more stronger than everybody else. But then once he's forced to play a little more out along the perimeter against better competition, the shooting numbers have not come around. He hasn't shot it as well from the free throw line either. So that those mechanics, that jump shot overall, that's still a big question mark for him. And if he, if, if we're only slapping that label on him as theoretical and he's not actually a stretch forward, I don't know if I can justify having him in the lottery, despite all of the numbers that made me put him there in the first place, the numbers that just make you fall out of your chair. Right? I mean, and like an 80 PER. <laughs> so if, something if you ridiculous. have close to a 50 PER, like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's going to perk everybody up and make you pay attention. But yeah, we're, we're in a wait and see approach still with, with Keegan Murray. We, I, I, we, we have a lot more content coming on those ceilings about him. I know that Evan's going to write a piece about him. I believe for next week, Chad, Corey and Albert just did a podcast on him. Yep. That I still have to listen to. I got to catch up. So there's a lot more Keegan Murray conversation coming. Yeah. And again, I thought I loved Keegan Murray. People like him more than me. And that's awesome. I just, you know, the, the ball handling ability. I love that aspect, the defensive versatility, his, his, his ability to block shots is phenomenal, but piecing the offense together is kind of where I was a little bit more hesitant with him. So let's talk about Max Christie. This is a guy, Nathan, that I want to convince myself so much to like, I mean, the, the shot looks like it should be just automatic. I mean, if you didn't watch the ball travel from, you know, his hand to the net, he has like a, a beautiful shooting, you know, motion. The, the efficiency isn't there. I'm curious as to how much of his, you know, the role that he's being asked to play for Michigan State has to do with his performance so far. Um, I have him 27th on my board. If I'm looking, you have him 12th on yours. So, another wide variance here and it happens, you know, just some, some people look for certain things and that's where you get these differences of opinion. Nathan, just please enlighten me as to why I might be a little bit low on Max Christie. I might even be a little too high on him as well, just like with Keegan Murray. But in, in terms of why I wanted to put him there early on, he's, he's a six, five combo guard who can handle the basketball. We know about his shooting ability. He's somebody who can come off screens you can work him off movement. He can hit open shots when you do get him to, to penetrate, get him around the basket. He has shown a little bit of a floater game, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Love to see that from a guard. He's yeah. been able to handle himself in pick and roll play. He's actually in the 69th percentile in terms of scoring out of pick and roll sets. Nice. I love all that. But you mentioned the jump shooting. The jump shooting has not been great in terms of efficiency up to this point. He's in the 33rd percentile on jump shots, so that's about – on when you factor in the field goal attempts and makes it about 32% on jump shots overall. That's, that's not the best from somebody who we're building as an outside shooter. So it's really an efficiency thing with him. I think if more of those jump shots start to fall, I think people will be a lot more comfortable evaluating the rest of his game. And I think that's when they'll start to see, is he a late lottery guy? Is he a mid first rounder? Either way, I think he needs to be a top 20 type of guy. We'll, we'll see where he falls in the second edition of my board. I don't know if he'll be as high as top 12 just because there are some other names that have propped themselves up. But I think I think if I'm going to bet on the long-term game and, and what my eye test is telling me, I do think he's a top 20 guy at the very least. 
Yeah, and I, you know, spoiler alert here for my 2.0, he's going up a little bit because in his more recent performances, he's looked a little bit better. I love the defense that I'm seeing from him and yeah. flashes, especially as kind of a point of attack defender. Um, love that aspect of his game. I think that he's showing a little bit more even on the, you know, team defensive. The he's got to play defense. defense. He's playing for Todd Mezzo, man. If he hasn't played has defense, to. he's not going to play. That's 100% correct. So I think that that defense is really helping him out. But kind of the same thing that I said about Caleb Houston, when you're labeled as a shooter, as you just mentioned earlier, Nathan, and the shot's not going down, it's really hard to find areas to where you're still helping your team. Because if you're asked to shoot and it's not going in, what else can you do to help? And but that's also an important aspect of the shooting, though. It's not just that the shot goes in or not. It's not just the percentage. Is he creating good shots? Is he mm -hmm. getting himself into those looks? He does move well off the ball. He yep. looks to be active moving off the ball. He sets himself up for those open shots. The, the you know We want to see a little bit better of a spot-up rating from him. He's only, let me see here, he's only in the 19th percentile in terms of spot-up shots made. But if you actually go back and watch the film and how he's setting himself up for those shots – He's doing a good job at it. You just, yep. you just need to see a few more go through the hoop. But I, I like everything that you're seeing on him from film from, from a setup perspective. Yeah, and again, you know, shooters, the shot has to go down for them to look well. And kind of the differentiating thing that I'm seeing with a, a Caleb Houston from a Max Christie is, one, the size. I mean, that's the obvious thing, which kind of helps the rebounding aspect, but also the playmaking. Max Christie as a passer, he's not really asked to do that either. I mean – Coach Izzo is having him do a lot of corner camping, which I think is doing Christy a little bit of a disservice here. Um, so last guy that I want to get into on this segment, Nathan, is Harrison Ingram. And this is a case, I think, to where I finally have a guy that I'm higher on that you're a little bit lower on. I have Harrison Ingram right now on my 1.0 as 13th overall. You have him at 22nd. And I think I know the reason why that you're a little bit lower on him, especially with the position and the role that he's asked to play. But I would love for you just to well, go sell ahead. sell me on him. No, sell me on him, Stephen. Go ahead. Sell me All on right. him. All right. So selling you on him. We have here a 6'8", you know, how what's he weigh? Around 225. This is beautiful. He's got a nice body for, uh, for the role that yeah. he's asked to play in the NBA. The one knock against him is that he's not really an explosive athlete. But to sell you on him, Nathan – the feel that he has for the game. This guy can look almost anybody on his team open. And because he plays for Stanford, even though he has beautiful assist numbers, including, you know, just the overall output of assists and then, and then the assist percentage, that number would be even higher if he was playing with more NBA level players, because I've seen several games where Ingram is getting his teammates open and they're either fumbling the pass or they're just not connecting on the shot. His ability just to run an offense is beautiful I love his man-to-man -man defense. The help defense needs a little bit of improvement. But just the overall feel, he can stretch the floor a little bit as well. Does a lot of everything that you want a guy at his position to play. It's just the one knock against him, Nathan. And I think that this is where people are going to get hung up on is he's just not a blow-by-you athlete as some of these other guys that even myself, I'm a little bit more higher on at that same position because he's just not a breakaway athlete. But that also takes away from his ability to create separation, some of those jump shooting attempts as well. And that's yep. if, you, if you're not getting the step by somebody to be able to finish around the basket, if you're not able to properly create a shot off the bounce when, when you're a player who, as you alluded to, his passing vision is really good for somebody his size. Mm -hmm. He can make plays out of the pick and roll. He's a much better playmaker out of pick and roll than he is a scorer. 
at the same time, though, if you're going to have the ball in your hands that much and have, quote-unquote, that much responsibility tied to you, you have to be able to score better in those situations. And he has it up to this point, and that's why I'm not going to overreact and throw him in the lottery conversation. I know Mike Ribbonov has him something crazy, like top seven, I think, or something I don't like love that, him that but... much. I love him. <laughs> I don't love him that much. But – you 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 can see some of the intrigue, the potential. You mentioned the measurables. You love you love his frame. You love what his body is looking like. You do love that he is a smart player. He's a high IQ player. If he starts to knock down some of those shots in Pac-12 mm-hmm. competition, that's really when he's going to rise up boards. And, and by the way, am I lower on him than you? Yes. Am I lower on him than other people in no ceilings? He didn't even make the composite board. The only reason why he was in the discussion, I think I might have been the only one who even had him on a board out of all of us in those Good series. You, if it wasn't only me, it was like me and somebody else. But so I'm I'm not knocking the talent. I just I want to see more from somebody. Whoa, 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 whoa. Nathan, pause. Timeout. Are you saying that you can be lower on a guy than somebody else and still like him at the same time? <laughs> are you saying that that's a possibility am right I, now? I, are you about to throw a grenade in the draft order <laughs> right now? I don't know. I don't think that that's how this conversation is supposed to go in most in, in most conversations, Nathan. And I'm glad you mentioned that too, though. By the way, because when I said that I had Trevor Kills dead last in my one there are people that didn't even make my top eighty that I'm like. I have emotional investment and like Will Richardson didn't make my top 80 and I love me some Will Richardson, but there's just, Oh man, that's a whole nother conversation as to. I think the point of the point of what we're doing though, is to essentially chronicle our evaluations from start to finish. And what we have on our boards right now is probably not going to matter at all. Once we get to May and June, because in the reality of it, it's far too early to make calls on a lot of these guys and we've had two drafts. These past two drafts have been awesome with giving us who we think are potential starter-level talent. But as I talked about um, with Seth Hartnell on my pod, that's usually not the way that it goes for a lot of these drafts. Usually the number of starter-caliber players that actually come out of a draft is usually between like 10 to 15 guys. Mm-hmm. And the number of guys who actually become all-stars or even better than that, obviously slim to, <laughs> to very few. So. Yep. It's it, it's just the nature of the beast, and whether these guys are actually going to be starter caliber players, that remains to be seen. But it's far too early to be too high on somebody, too low on somebody. We're just trying to see as many guys as we can and give everyone a fair shake, trying to be optimists, right? Everybody loves everybody, as Rucker loves to say. Yep, yep. And, I mean, the margin of difference between talent level and how much, you know, location or team style is going to – impact how successful players are that margin between players from like 25 even through 60 is a lot slimmer than i think most and maybe harrison gets drafted late in the first round and a team finds the correct role for him a low usage easy quick decision playmaking type of situation hitting open shots when the ball's kicked to him but putting him in some of these situations where he just has to make a quick decision and get the ball where it needs to go not in a position at the top of the court where he has to dribble, 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 and then find mm-hmm. somewhere to go or make some crazy shot out of it. Teams find effective ways, especially in today's game, to get guys the ball and have them do some of these quick decision type of things. And that's a role that Harrison Ingram would excel in. And maybe if he gets put in the right role, right situation, we're looking back and, all right, maybe we shouldn't have been as concerned about what he can't do and should have put more stock into what he can do. That happens all the time. 
every draft it happens that way. So, Nathan, what we're going to do here, we're about close to the end of our radio segment. We're going to continue with the rest of the the discussion here on the podcast. But for those who are listening here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, first off, just want to thank them for tuning in and listening. But, Nathan, if you could do that audience the pleasure of letting them know where they can find you and your work and, and the No Ceilings team um, before we close out here for the radio show, that would be awesome. Find me on Twitter at draft deeper, find no ceilings, no ceilings.substack.com. Absolutely subscribe to that newsletter. If you get a chance, I'm writing consistently every Monday morning over there. I'm calling it the morning dunk. That's my column. That's my it's space. Amazing. To put out. By the way, I love it. That's my space to put out far too many words and pour my heart <laughs> and soul into that thing. Every empty your side. notebook, as you like to say, right? You just, I, th- I think I'm averaging words. somewhere between 35 to 4,500 words on that bad boy. So that's the subtle are flex. Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are monsters every single week that are probably longer than they should be. But yeah, you can seriously subscribe, not just for my work, but for everybody else, all the other writing content that's going out. Everyone's doing a magnificent job and I couldn't be more thrilled to, to be a part of it. Yeah. And if you're a sicko like me, it was just like, great. Now I have to, you know, listen to three hours of a podcast or read, you know, you know, 16 page essay on draft stuff. I'm going to do it because I'm a sicko and I love this stuff and I'll, I'll just subject my body to it, but it's all great work, man. You guys do such a tremendous job. And for everyone who's tuning in on the nothing but net channel on dash radio, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to, as always, you want to listen to the rest of this. We have even more great discussion that we're going to be talking about. Nathan's got some players on his top 30 that I didn't, which means in turn that I have players that he didn't. We're going to kind of talk about why we may have left those players off. Maybe we didn't see enough. Maybe we're learning from each other. You never know, but it's going to be fun. And then we're also going to give a little bit of, you know, prognostication as to how we think our 2.0 is going to look by the time it's released. So please stay tuned for that. Go subscribe to Draft Deeper because... This show is going to be continued on there as well. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Go subscribe to Draft Capital anywhere you get your podcast, and you can listen to the rest of these segments. But for my guest here, uh, Nathan Grubel from Draft Deeper and from the No Ceilings Collective, for myself, Stephen Gillespie, part of the Off the Ball Network, this has been Draft Capital. We'll catch up with you all next time. Much love, everybody. All right, so for everyone tuning in from the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio here to the podcast, thank you so much for coming over. We're continuing the show here with Nathan Grubel of Draft Deeper and the No Ceilings Collective. We're going to shift over now to what I'm calling Nathan's exceptions, right? These are players that Nathan had his on his big board that I didn't. And again, we're in turn, that's going to mean that we're going to talk about the players that I had that he didn't. So Nathan, I'm looking at, at these guys and I can't wait for this first one because I know how much you just love him. Uh, Bryce McGowan's is was on your big board. He wasn't on mine. Wendell Moore. Julian Strother, Musa Diabate, and Matt Cleveland. Again, all these were guys that you had on your board that I didn't. Please tell me why I messed up, Nathan. How come How come I messed up because I didn't? No, no, we're not going to use words like messed up. <laughs> quite, quite frankly, I'll be honest with you. I know Matt Cleveland's definitely not going <laughs> to make my 2.0 board the, the, the next time around. At least not, not in the top 30. Um, but as far as McGowan's is concerned, you're right. I love him as a prospect. Six, seven, three-level scores who also get to the free throw line and convert at a high level. Those guys don't grow on trees, Stephen. Correct. Those guys are those guys are rare. You factor in how tough of a player he is. He doesn't have the best physical build. I think he's listed at six, seven, but he's also, I believe, listed weights under one hundred eighty pounds. So when you look at him, you don't expect somebody who's going to be, you know, putting up six to eight free throw attempts per game, but he is. 
He's finding ways to get to the basket, be more physical than the stream would indicate, and he's converting on those opportunities. He's a really good jump shooter. Love the mechanics. Absolute money. So I love everything he's bringing to the table from a scoring perspective, and I really think that he's a guy, he's going to be in that top 15 conversation for a lot of people. The majority of the year, whether you get on the bandwagon now, you get on the bandwagon at some point, I Steven, I he I I'm I'm surprised you didn't even make your 1.0 board. This seems like this seems like a guy you would really like. I want to like him. I I truly do. But when I watch the film, and truth be told, I gotta watch more. I've watched I think three or four games from from him, and I get the appeal. Trust me, the build. Um, he is an ultimate microwave, and I did some clips on him, and that's one of the first things I said is McGowan's is a is a microwave guy, but the defense. Yeah, I think that if he's going to be playing that two or that three, um, he he might. He's a guy that I need to see more confidence for a conference play from. I'll put it like that to kind of bolster him into that into that first round talent. Now he was fifteenth on your board, so you having him that high, me not having him at all. I couldn't wait for this discussion because he's a guy that I just I feel like I need to see more and just kind of spoiler alert. As to where I have him, I have him 33rd right now. So it's not like he's super far removed from being in my big board. Um, the players that I have ahead of him, I feel confident in the guys that I have. I, you know, it's not like I had, you know, the aforementioned Will Richardson ahead of him or anything like that. I feel like the players that are ahead of him, I feel like I could give logical explanation as to why I do. But Nathan, I do want to like him so much because of his size, because of the athleticism, because of the scoring. It's just something about watching him play, man. It's just like I can't put him ahead of certain players, but I'm sure as the season progresses, he's going to weasel his way up into my top 30, and I hope he does because there are certain types of players that I feel like I want to like, and he's one of them, man. Absolutely. And then speaking of guys who I'm also surprised that you didn't have on your top 30, Wendell Moore from Duke. Yeah. Where, where, where is he, Steven? Talk, talk to me. Why isn't he there? Man, because I, I want to see more. I, I feel like Wendell Moore has been one of these guys that like, we're waiting, we're waiting. All right, now we're seeing a little bit of flash. Can he sustain it? That's where I'm living at with Wendell Moore right now. And Duke is really talented. It's kind of also one of those things where, like, does Duke really have five of the best 30 players in this draft right now? And I I somehow talk myself into these conversations. How much is he benefiting from the guys that he's playing alongside? And is he really going to be, at the end of the day, one of the top 30 players along with Williams, along with Boncaro and, and, and his other teammates, Kills and, and Griffin? I have him kind of right there where I have McGowan's. Where he's, like, he, I, listen, listen, he's been the best player on Duke this year. He, he has he's been a better player than Ben Caro. So I, we're we're going to have Ben Caro as the better prospect. But mm -hmm. when you start putting him up against AJ Griffin and Trevor Keels, and there's some factor of projection that can go into that, but you also have to take into account how much of a leader Wendell Moore's been for this team. Sure, he's a junior. I'm not afraid to draft a junior. I'm not afraid to draft a senior. I don't I don't care as much about age as some other evaluators do. He's playing lights out, man. He's been lights out as a jump shooter from all over the place lately. We knew that he was a playmaker off the bounce. We know that he has six foot seven size with proper length. We know he's he's a better rebounder, good rebounder, actually no, very good rebounder for his yep. position. 
And yeah, now that he's showing more of that scoring efficiency, now that he's playmaking and scoring better out of pick and roll sets, you start looking at his game and trying to pick things apart. It's like, what really can he do on a basketball court? And that was some of the potential that he had coming in his freshman year when everybody thought he was going to be like a top 15 guy coming out during his Mm -hmm. freshman season. It took him a little while to get up to speed and learn how to process the game at a higher level. But now he's there, he's doing it. And he's a guy that, you know, I have him in the twenties on my board, but I could absolutely move him up by the time 2.0 comes around. So that's, that's, that's my argument against some of those other two guys you talked about. I, I do agree with that argument, that logic, that it's very tough for a college team to get five players in a top 30. Yep. But if we're really going to start picking guys out of that top 30, I'm not going to pick Mark Williams over one, no more. I, there's a chance when we get to it, I may not pick Trevor Keels over Wendell Moore when we get to it. There's A.J. Griffin. We've had two games. He yep. still has to do it more consistently over a year. Am I actually going to pick him over Wendell Moore? So we'll, but the, the only player right now I'm confident I'm never going to pick Wendell Moore over <laughs> on that team is Kyle Mancaro. That's right. You're still out everybody else. And that's totally fine. And, again, I just I want to reemphasize again because this was one dotto. This is like it's I want to see a little bit more. I had him kind of where I had McGowan's right on the outside looking in where it's like, I want to believe what I'm seeing. I just want to see a little bit larger sample size. I can reassure everybody that on two dotto, he, he's going to be in the first round and he he's won me over, so to speak on that end. But also Nathan, to your point to where sure kind of in a, um, not so much in a vacuum, but what we're seeing, he's playing really well. But I think it's also important to remember that the position that he's going to play at the next level, it's not just going to be based off of his production now on on this talented team. You know, he's going to be lined up against some of the best players in the NBA, kind of at that two, maybe the one, because I remember listening to Chad Ford talk with you on this, is that scouts are looking at him seeing like, hey, is there any sort of primary creation that we can get out of a window more, right? So that kind of opens up a whole nother world of like, how does he stack up against the NBA level talent at that position? Whereas a Mark Williams, it's not going to be as difficult for him to be as successful at his position as it will be a window more. at. Oh, that I, I don't know, Steven, we're going to disagree about that one. What are the okay. two, one of the two positions that are the hardest to get adjusted to at the NBA level. It's point guard and it's mm-hmm. center. We see it Correct. all the time. Big men are very slow to come along first to get an opportunity and then actually produce on the court. Wendell Moore plays one of those two through four spots that are as interchangeable nowadays as ever. I know that I don't, I don't have a detailed position tree like our friend Rashad does. Um, yep. But RP three is when, the man, by the way, RP three is the man. But when you talk to, to other people around the game for so many years, like coach Thorpe, he always reminds me of something like that, that one of the five, if you're going to nail down positions, those are the most important positions to nail down on a basketball court because they're the most responsibility tied to them and they're the hardest to play from the jump. So if we're talking about transition, who might actually have an easier time transitioning to the NBA game, I might actually argue, at least in a larger sample size, if you're throwing more minutes at them, I'd argue one though more might have a little bit of an easier time transitioning. But Maybe I'm wrong about that, but... And that's fair. But again, you know, there's depth and there's schematics and there's a whole we could that could be a whole episode in of itself. It is a whole episode. You're right. That's a whole episode. We'll we'll save that for like episode (laughs) two or episode three of the the podcast. That sounds great. So let's get into um, Julian Strother. 
again, another guy that I have early second. But, you know, looking at him on your big board, Nathan, I believe you had him as a late first. Let me call it up. You have him at 26 overall. So it's not like you have him, you know, 12th and I don't have him on there at all. You have him kind of as a late first. I have him as an early second. Um, I think that you have him as a late first for a lot of the same reasons why I had him as an early second. He's already rising on my board as well. He gives me Jordan Warrow vibes coming, you know, this season, you know, kind of a, a shooter, a rebounder at that wing position plays a very kind of similar role, in my opinion, for Gonzaga. Um, what do you like about him at 26? Why am I a little bit low on him compared to you? He's efficient. He just seems like a pro ready guy. You just watch how he sets up a lot of the shots that he takes. You look at the shots that he takes in general. Mm-hmm. He looks like a pro taking him. He looks like a pro making him. He's efficient across multiple different box score categories. He's efficient by synergy stats and a lot of different jump shooting metrics that you want to throw out there. Is he a high level playmaker in terms of passing ability? No, but I think he's a good decision maker. And I think he's yeah. a, he's, he's, he's a pretty good defender as well. He's not great, but I think he's pretty good. So when you factor in what he can bring to the table offensively at his size, along with maybe a slightly above average defensive value, that's the type of pro-level wing that teams want to draft, especially late in the first round. So I don't know if Strother's going to rise above like a top 20 grade, but I think anywhere 21 through 30, there's a case to be made that he fits a certain archetype that NBA players want to draft and he has a place. Yeah, and I had, um, you know, going back to the, my Jordan Noir comparison, I had him 30th and, you know, seeing the Bucks take him where they did and early on in the season, he's, been getting good minutes for that team great, and he returns. Looks like great returns on the late pick great returns on the late pick and i could definitely see that coming from a julian strother for sure the last two guys that you had that i didn't were musa diabate and then also matt cleveland so again let's go ahead and keep selling the listeners here on why they made your one auto matt cleveland you want to buy the size the length the defensive versatility, the rebounding ability at his size, and then some of the flashes that he showed going back to high school that gave people optimism. He was going to be a good mid-range shooter, somebody who create who could create, take, and make mid-range shots. He has not been a shot maker in college. He really mm-hmm. hasn't been much of a shot maker at all. He's struggling to score effectively from the field virtually anywhere. And if you're not going to give me any offense and then you're going to show signs of struggling more so than we thought you would on the defensive end coming in early – you're not going to maintain a top 30 grade on my board. I wanted to keep him there because I thought maybe he could start playing better with a little more opportunity. He's not even really being given the opportunities for Florida state right now. So he, he will definitely slide, but I was, I was trying to buy it early on potential. That one kind of bit me in the butt a little bit early, but that's fine. It's very early in the process. We'll probably look back. Won't even matter. He was on a 1.0 board, but (laughs) It's not, not, not always about right or wrong either. It's about trying to recognize talent and get the evaluation right as well. I didn't get the evaluation right, at least early on. If he does something to change that narrative in ACC play, maybe he does. But as for Musa Diabate, I love the effort. I love the energy. I love the motor that he plays with. He quickly went from being a bench contributor to a starter-level player for Michigan, mm-hmm. like literally at the, at the drop of a hat. And you love the kind of defensive versatility that he brings to the table. He's one of those rare guys who could potentially guard four positions in the NBA if he figures everything out. I won't say he's going to be a, a crazy five-position defender. Those players are rare, few and far between. The fact mm-hmm. that we got a few of them last year in last year's draft, what it's looking like, that's outrageous. But 
three to four positions, I can see that in Musa Diabate's future. And then you throw in some of the offensive flashes he's shown um, as far as perimeter shot making. Obviously, he's a good finisher around the rim. He's a vertical guy. Go up, catch a lob. I love a lot of what I'm seeing from Musa Diabate. I think he's being massively undersold at this point in the evaluation process. I think he's going to keep climbing. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I know that um, Ersan Demir off the off the ball network is a big Diabate fan as well. All right, Nathan, we'll transition to the next segment here. It's just going to be my exceptions here, Steven's exceptions. Um, I had, you know, six players that made my 1.0 that didn't make yours. Um, the biggest one that I have a question for you on, Nathan, is Hugo Besson uh, playing out of the NBL. And I don't know, sometimes it's really hard to get into on these international players. And when I'm when I was researching these guys and coming into the year, he was my favorite international prospect. I know that that wasn't necessarily the popular opinion with, you know, Usman Zhang. And then you also had Yannick Zosa um, getting a lot of preseason attention as well. I loved Hugo Besson. Um, Nathan, you didn't have him on your board. Was there any particular reason as to, you know, the gameplay as to why? Was it the just, the just not enough recent information, my friend? Just not enough recent information. I did a preseason podcast where Tyler Rucker and I talked with Raphael Barlow um, over at the Locked On Network. We talked about Hugo specifically. We pointed him out as somebody who we wanted to pay more attention to and watch mm-hmm. closer during this draft process. I've everything I've seen on him, I buy the talent too, my friend. I just I want to be able to sit down awesome. and watch a few more full games before I slap them on the board. But I'm planning to do a massive. I'm going to revisit the G League a little bit. I'm going to finally dive deeper into some overtime elite film, and I'm going to throw those international guys. A little spoiler for your audience: I'm going to do a two-part yes. morning dunk as soon as we get back from the holiday break. I'm I'm taking a week off between Christmas and New Year's from doing a column, but. I won't be doing nothing over that break. That Monday morning when we come back after New Year's, I'm going to have a new column prepped and ready to go, and there will be some thoughts on Besson in there. There will be some thoughts on, hopefully, Rocco, who is another guy who you had highlighted who I didn't have on my board. Although, mm-hmm. my opinion, he'd be a better guy to talk about in this segment because I don't know if my opinion is going to change on him that much. I, ne- I never really bought it last year. I don't know if I'm still going to buy it this year. Yeah, fair enough. And just to kind of highlight some of the things that Hugo does, Love him as a pick and roll ball handler. He's just, he's, I think he's listed now even taller than what I thought he was coming into the season. A lot of preseason, um, you know, numbers that you were getting on him were about 6'3. In the NBL, he's listed at 6'5. I mean, two inches at that point guard position, that can make all the difference sometimes. You know, he's got tremendous feel operating in that pick and roll. He's not afraid of any shot, which sometimes could lend people to believe that he might be a ball hog or just a, you know, a chucker. He's very capable in a lot of different situations on the offense. I, I, I will say I think he's gonna he's gonna rocket up people's boards as soon as we finally get some more recent film on him. I know that Chad Ford's already very high on Diang. I agree. I think Diang's gonna skyrocket up people's boards. So I think both of those guys, we're gonna talk about any international player stock rising over the next one or two months. It's gonna be those two guys. They're both, I think, gonna be in mid first round conversations, if not late lottery conversations. And how fitting because they both play for the New Zealand Breakers. All right, so transition from Hugo. I could give you a whole episode on Hugo. I love him to death. Uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, out of Texas Tech, guy that I have kind of in that lottery position. Um, just kind of spoiler alert here in the 2.0. He slipped a little bit, He's but he's not really far off from where I had him in the first place. Um, lefty, playing for Texas Tech, athletic player, um, 
really good in my opinion at operating at a lot of positions on, on the offensive end at different levels. I love the defensive intensity that he can bring on a it's not necessarily a, a game to the game basis, but in in large moments, I think it's there. Um, Nathan, you didn't have them listed. Is this an instance of where like, you know, freshman and sophomore season, we weren't really seeing much. And now as a junior, he's kind of accepted a, the role that he's at and is kind of excelling in it a little bit more in your opinion, or where are you at with, uh, Shane? I loved him as an early second round guy last year. I think that that's where he absolutely could have been picked had he come out last year. I still feel the same way about him this year. I just, Steven, I don't see enough of the offense being consistent. I don't see enough offense that I'm comfortable saying this is going to definitely translate okay. at the next level to couple with the athletic talents that he brings to the table, the defensive versatility. Those two things will definitely translate. Mm -hmm. Whether he can actually be trusted upon to hit open jump shots when they're given to him, and we know that if there's anything that you want to buy into doing at an NBA level, it's probably his ability to finish in transition, get out on the break and finish offense that way. But apart from that, I'm not sold at anything else immediately translating at the NBA level. So that's why I think if, if, if you're going to take somebody who I believe is destined to be a role player in the league, probably an early second round grade is a lot, a lot, a lot better place to find value on him than somewhere, you know, even late first round if can he pop up into like the 26 to 30 conversation? Sure. But I, I think any higher than that, I, I don't know. I'm not buying that much of the offense. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So Dyson Daniels, this is a guy where I'm seeing people like him even more than I do. Um, I'm not really loving him as much as the, the more I'm seeing other players, so to speak, which I'm, I'm not going to necessarily argue with why you don't have him on your, your top 30, but he didn't make it on yours. He made it on mine kind of in the later stages. Um, I feel like he was kind of been the more consistent player for the G League Ignite team in the early going. You know, you had him and Marjan Beauchamp um, with Daniels kind of being the facilitator, so to speak, while Hardy was struggling in the early going. Um, kind of plays a one through three, a similar to, you know, maybe a Shea Gillis-Alexander in that aspect. Not saying talent level is there, but a guy who can play the one, two, or three. And you're seeing it at that G League level already. Um, what made you want to keep him out a little bit uh, or in the early going so far, Nathan? I just don't know how much of a of a primary initiator really want him being at the NBA level. I don't buy the physical tools that he has. I don't buy the speed. I don't buy the, the off the dribble. Like I'm going to definitely get by you and then make a play after I broke you down from there. Mm -hmm. He's an intelligent player. He's a heady guy. He can make the right pass when he sees it. But in terms of how much you want him actually having the ball in his hands to make those decisions, I don't know how much that's going to effectively translate at the NBA level. And I'm not in love with the jump shooting either. I'm not I'm not in love with his ability to pour in points offensively. And defensively, it's definitely a mixed bag. You have some people who really like the defense. You have some people like me who are a little more pessimistic about the defense. Um, there are plenty of times I can go back and watch the G League film where, and I said it earlier, we can pick apart every young player with off-ball defense and every sure. level and engagement, but he really struggles in that area for me, and I don't know how effective he's going to be one-on-one -on -one defending um, at the next level. So he's a guy I really want to sit down and watch like six straight hours of G League film on and really try to figure him out before um, a 2.0 board. I, I can assure you I'm going to be talking about Dyson Daniels in some capacity in that, in that column that I've been talking about or one of the parts of that column.
For sure, for sure. I, I feel that way with Foster. Like I, I'm seeing a lot of wide ranging opinions on him too, and I'm just like, I, maybe I just got to watch more film with him. So um, Nathan, we alluded to already, uh, Rocco Percasin, the guy who flirted with coming into the NBA last season. There was a lot of people that thought he was a lottery talent last season. I didn't see it. I'm kind of seeing late first round with him right now. You mentioned that you're a little bit lower on him. Is it just the shot with with him that you're not necessarily in love with? What is it with Rocco that you're a little bit lower on? Yeah, the shooting's always been a point of concern with him, but it's also been how athletic is he? If you put mm. him on an NBA floor, is is what we're seeing overseas in the league that he's playing in against the competition he's playing against, is that athleticism translating in the same way he could very well just be bigger, stronger, and a lot faster than mm -hmm. everyone he's playing against. But I don't know exactly how that's going to translate on an NBA floor. There's just something when I'm watching tape on him, there's something that just always seems fishy about what I'm seeing and reasons that I'm not going to buy it. And now you see him struggling more this year in terms of the percentages, in terms of his ability to actually play make efficiently for others and not turn the ball over and get himself in spots where he ultimately turns the ball over. I don't know, man. I'm just I'm I'm not buying him being this high level NBA player that a lot of people think he's going to be. I think a lot of people who were high on him last year, they're still going to remain high on him this year. I take what he's doing with a grain of salt. Doesn't mean I don't think he's an NBA player. I do think he's an NBA player, but I think he's more in the role player category. Do I end up giving him a late first round grade at some point because some other guys might fall off in the back end where I have them now? It's possible. But I don't want to see me giving him a grade higher than somebody other than, than like 25 on my board. I don't see him as a tier three, one through four guaranteed starter, like a first through fourth option for a really good NBA level team. I see him as a guy who might be better off as, as maybe a six man, first guy off the bench. If he is a starter, he's like that fifth guy in the starting. He's the last guy in the starting lineup, or maybe he's even better suited as like a seventh through ninth man contributor for an NBA team that's more where I'd have him right now that's fair enough um I'm a little bit more of a believer in his athleticism translating because I think sometimes Nathan we can look at players and and criticize the athleticism that we don't see and then they can come to the NBA and actually still kind of play so it's kind of hard for at least for me right it's hard for me to see someone who actually does stand out athletically in European style basketball and and not see them being able to translate at that NBA level because we've seen lesser athletes come over because of their feel, right? I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Rocco is a high-level feel player, but I do think his aggressiveness, his strength, his athleticism is real. I'm buying it in the early going as of two weeks ago. You know, he has slid down since. But, you know, I still think I will have him as a late first-round grade unless somebody else uh, comes up here. So, Nathan, we got one more guy. Um uh, Tyrese Hunter uh, out of Iowa State. He kind of captured the world by storm um, here in the early going. He's since weighed down a little bit. Those percentages aren't there. So um, just real quick, why are you a little bit lower on Tyrese? Than I, I, I like Tyrese. I, I Trust me, Simon. So shout out to Simon Rath. He did a great job pointing him out early. For I sure. like him. I just – I think it's a little too early. I think it's a little too early for Tyrese. I think he's going to be much better served coming back for a second year. Now, I would I would disagree with Fran Vrishilla. Fran Vrishilla said he's probably a four-year player at Iowa State. I don't agree with that at all. Maybe I, two. I, 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 I love you, Fran, um, but I don't agree <laughs> with that one. I think two years would be better for him because 
of some of the finishing concerns we have for him, some of the shooting concerns. It doesn't seem like he's quite strong enough to convert on one of those around the uh, around the basket type of shots. I think the jump shooting definitely needs a little bit of work, but the reason probably why we like him, Steven, is because you watch him set up those shots. You yep. see how dynamic of a ball handler he is. Those one, two dribble step back type of shots, they look good. They're just not going in quite yet. And he's not quite picking his spots to the level where we would want him to in terms of setting up good shots like that. Um, and I think there is a little bit more work to be done from a passing perspective as well. So he's a little bit rough around the edges offensively, although in areas where I think he's going to get better, we know how much of a ball hawk he is defensively. He's one of those guys, I'm telling you, Steven, he comes back for a second year, he's going to shoot himself up in a lottery conversation. Zero I'm hearing that a lot from Tyrese. I'm hearing that people already in this early going want to see one more of him. I'm just like, whoa, wait, like this is – 1.0 and he's already getting late first round considerations let's see if this picks up a little bit before we start sending him back for a sophomore year but regardless of if he goes in this year if he doesn't no doubt if he come like i don't think that that's a question nathan if he comes back that he isn't better off being selected at a higher position next season but make more I, money gotta make that money sir you you do, but you never know. It's not always, <laughs> it's never guaranteed. Like that's one thing we know about sports. That waiting a year doesn't always it doesn't always work out for everybody, right? But, You're not wrong. I mean, I I love them. You love them. I, I'm sure that as as the season picks up, you know, we're we're gonna vary on our opinions on them a little bit more. But Nathan, man, um, just want to thank you so much for coming here on the show today. I feel like we covered our projections a little bit, so to speak, as to guys who might be rising, who who will be falling, you know, as we did our player breakdowns. And, um, you know, as we keep doing these segments, I'm sure we're going to get more in detail with some of these other players that we get a chance to touch on today. But um, again, Nathan, just thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we get you out of here, just please, if you could tell the listeners one more time where they can find you and your work. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can read Anything that's coming out from No Ceilings and the Substack, noceilings.substack.com. And if you want to listen to my podcast as well as any other podcasts on the No Ceilings Network, again, you got the Draft Act with Corey and Albert. You have Nick and Tyler doing the NBA Deep Dive Show. You have Rucker brought back his Backcourt Violation podcast. You can find any of those on our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash No Ceilings NBA. You can find all of our shows there. We'd be more than happy to have anybody Make sure you're staying tuned to Steven's show, though, Draft Capital. I love everything that you and Chris are doing, man. Seriously, it's an honor to be able to work with you on a series like this. I can't wait to host you on my podcast for the second one of these that we do because, yeah, we got we got a lot more players to, to talk about, even though it seems like we hit quite the number today, but we still have plenty more to go. Yeah, for sure, man, and you're, you're just a, a true pro and a gentleman. I appreciate all the kind words that you say about – you know, the work that Chris and I are doing here, it means a lot coming from you guys. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for all the listeners and the viewers that have stuck around for us here for about the last hour and a half. Um, you're sickos just like us, and we thank you. We're glad that we're in the same company. But um, thank you all so much for tuning in, watching, listening, whatever it may be. Um, go follow Nathan over at Draft Deeper. Go follow No Ceilings NBA. Of course, follow Draft Capital. Go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. Thank you all again so much. We'll catch up with you all next time. Much love, everybody.